Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to This Week Explained. I'm Tiana and I'm joined by my co-host Kerbin. In this podcast, we will be diving into all of the major geopolitical events and stories of the week, in case you didn't realize that by now. So let's get started because there's a lot to get into. Kerbin, can you please let our listeners know what is on your radar this week? All right. Well, for our new listeners, we always start out with Russia, Ukraine. But we're going to get into a bomb that went off in a St. Petersburg cafe that killed a Russian military blogger. Big news was Finland officially became a NATO country. Right. So we'll get into that. But also a Wall Street Journal journalist was arrested in Russia. This week we had the, Ty- the Taiwanese president who met with U.S. Speaker of the House here I'm in sure, the U.S. I'm sure that went over really well with China. Uh, Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we'll get right into that because it did not. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Sorry, you guys. We've also got Saudi Arabia cutting ties with the United States, our worst ally ever. Paraguay could be the next Latin American country to flip loyalties from Taiwan. And then I want to end the podcast with this unsettling future of global power. That sounds really depressing but let's get into what the big news coming out of ukraine is what what's going on there all right so well the latest update is that you know russian and ukrainian forces are still engaged in positional battles along multiple fronts i have seen that russian forces have made some gains in and around bakhmut they're continuing these offensive operations along various other front lines, one of which is in Donetsk. We did have Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky state during a press conference in Poland that Ukrainian forces may be ready to withdraw from Bakhmut, and that would be to avoid encirclement by Russian forces. Now, he did say if that's necessary, and he also said that they do not assess the need to do so, but if you're looking at the map of the front lines, it really does look like they're getting ready to be encircled. Also this week, Putin called for continued integration of those recently annexed areas, the ones that got annexed in September. Right. He wants them to be more integrated into the Russian. He emphasized the importance of Russian restoration efforts in facilitating that integration process. Now, something that came out this week that was very interesting to me was that the Chinese ambassador to the European Union or the EU, Fu Kong, he stated that China does not actually support Russia's war in Ukraine. Really? He said, yeah, he also said that they're not providing Russian weapons, or they're not providing Ooh. weapons to Russia, which right. from, so a little bit of investigation shows that while the government of China isn't providing weapons, they are facilitating 
those weapons. So the acquisition facilitating yes. acquisition of those weapons. Oh, um, right, 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 right. So the statement's a very interesting. It's an interesting development as China, and we're going to talk about this at the end. But China is definitely positioning itself to be the next global superpower. So whenever you say they're like facilitating the acquisition of these weapons, does that mean they're getting like their allies kind of put nudging their allies into helping Russia so they can keep their hands clean? But is so that that's what you one mean? Way of, like meeting with their like Iranian leadership to right. move those drones, but also so if you understand China's government and how China works, every business within China is literally owned by the Chinese Communist Party. So if those companies, so those companies would provide weapons and support to Russia. Okay. China can say, well, we're, as a government, we're not doing it, but if a company is going to do it, that's on them and we can't stop them. So they're splitting hairs, basically. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. definitely. Um, You've got it. Well, I saw some reports in the media that Russia is actively moving Ukrainian children from their homes to Russian areas. Is there any truth to these allegations of forced deportations of Ukrainian children? So uh, I'll say, yeah, there are those allegations have been there that so that came out that started a few weeks ago that Russia was forcibly deporting Ukrainian children. They state that thousands of children had been found in basements of cities like Maru and also at orphanages in Donbass. If you know those regions, those are heavily controlled by Russia now. The reports allege that Russian officials have deported Ukrainian children to Russia without consent. They lied to the kids that they weren't wanted by their parents, which shame on you for doing yeah, that. Yeah, that is, I, okay. Another shame yeah, on you. I just want to, pre- yeah. <laughs> I am, yeah, that, okay. Keep that going. Were, <laughs> they've been used for propaganda. Right. And they've also given those children to Russian families to raise as Russian. Ukrainian officials claim nearly 8,000 Children have been deported to Russia, while Russian officials regularly announce the arrival of Ukrainian orphans in Russian military planes, which means they're taking kids, putting them on Russian plane, military planes and, and deporting them. Now, if, do you remember the ICC? Well, yeah, of course you do. Sorry. The, the ICC or the International Criminal Court said that put out an arrest warrant for Putin. Yes. Yeah. In that warrant... For those war crimes, they actually accuse him of this. They accuse him of personal responsibility for the abduction of children from Ukraine. Good. You know, you know how we are on this podcast. Mm. We're going to give all sides of the story. So I'm going to give the Russian side of this allegation so that people can research and formulate their own opinion. Well, you while I already know where I stand, I mean, you read my mind because I was going to ask what Russian officials were saying about all of these allegations. Yeah, and and that's what we do here. You, I mean... I mean, we we don't even need... We don't need to tell our listeners. Like, they know we very clearly have opinions, but we do try to report, you know, from all angles. Yep, and, (laughs) and definitely want to do that. So the answer to that question is that the Russian Commissioner for Children's Rights... Just let me see if I a joke. Yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> okay. So that's her. Her name is Maria Lvova Belova. Huh. Just goodness, good little rhyming there. Yeah, um, <laughs> I was about, I was about to start singing that that banana fana boat. Oh my god! Yeah. You know, where they just rhyme it? Yeah, where they yeah. just rhyme it all together. <laughs> I couldn't remember how it went all of a sudden, probably because it popped in my head immediately, and then it. Fell off my tongue. <laughs> and neither one of us are good 
having something pop in our brain and then express it automatically. Yeah, I'm very slow processing speeds. <laughs> yeah, me too. But like I said, so the commissioner for children's rights did deny the international allegations. Of course. Um, so she said that Russia is not forcibly deporting Ukrainian children to Russia. That is their statement, and we'll leave it at that. But they do understand these children are eventually going to become older and be able to use their voice, right? Yeah, but... I, I guess it's not something they're worried about right now. From a propaganda standpoint, mm-hmm. it, it's always been that if you want to promote a certain, a certain theology or worldview, you have to... With the from children. the children, yeah, right. I think, I think you know, Hitler had similar hmm. sentiments. Hmm. I believe hmm. a man named Adolf Hitler, who we will speak of later in this podcast. Oh, we are. It's We're like, going to bring you um, up again. Okay. Well, so good job. Well, like you said, everybody can take that information and formulate their own opinions. For now, we need to move to Saint Petersburg, Russia, a city that we have been to and we enjoyed so much we had so much fun there there was a bombing of a cafe that killed a prominent russian blogger what can you tell us about this blogger and why might he have been targeted and what could the future implications of this attack be so so the blogger is tatarsky his real name is actually maxim Fulman, and he was the guy that was he was killed in the bombing there were tons of other that others that was injured now, he gained notoriety for his coverage of the war in Ukraine while he was embedded with Russian forces. He's known for his ultra-nationalist views, but he's also known for his criticism of the Russian military strategy. Well, do you think Putin set this up as a false flag, or was Vladlin a pretty respected writer within the Kremlin? Now, look, you know me. I'm not, I don't dismiss any talks of false flags. Okay. It can be how, I mean, that can happen whenever, but... He was continuously embedded with troops on the front lines, and he was very much pro-war, mm-hmm. pro-Russia-Ukraine, pro-Russian war in Ukraine. He wants all old territories back yep. in Russia. Okay. His complaints was with military strategy that mostly revolved around troops not being prepared and military leaders not being aggressive enough in attacking Ukrainian positions. Not being aggressive enough. Yes. I think people might disagree with that. <laughs> yeah, well, outside of Russia, yes, very much so. Yeah. For this event, he was actually giving a talk that was organized by a group called Cyber Z Front. Now, that name refers to the letter Z that Russia has adopted as a symbol of the war in Ukraine. So not zombie or zygote. I mean, now that you mentioned that, I didn't even think about that, but Cyber Z Front is a great movie about zombies. That would be a wonderful title for a movie. Okay, I'm very, I'm very, (laughs) okay, I'm confused. I thought you were saying there really was a movie, and I'm like, I've never seen that. No, I'm thinking of World War Z. Oh, is that what it's called? The one with Brad Pitt? Yep. From the book? Yeah. I don't know. I didn't read the book. Oh, Surprising me neither. I don't. I thought you did read the book. Oh, this is irrelevant. Here we yeah. go. We're going to go off and start having a different conversation. So, who was the person arrested for this attack? And what is Russia saying about what entity coordinated this bombing? Well, it's so this that's very interesting because the actual footage from inside the cafe before the device detonated actually mm-hmm. exists. Oh. Uh, and it's. I'm going to I'm going to say purported 
because we don't know. So when the when the device explodes, the camera shuts off because of the impact of the explosion. Yeah. So I say it's purported to show the suspect that they have in custody now placing a box on the table in the cafe. Now, in a taped interrogation of the suspect, who was 26-year-old Daria Trapova, she actually states when she was asked why she was arrested. This is her words. Okay. I would say for being at the scene of Vladlin Trotsky's murder. I brought the statuette, which blew up. So that's what she said. Okay. The interrogator then asked who gave her the statue. And this is very cryptic. Yeah. She said, can I tell you later? Later, as in when the cameras turned off? Or yeah, so you feel. Okay, well, who does Russia say? Because I feel like if it was some outside person who wanted to, you wanted to get their point across, somebody who was, you know, anti-war in Ukraine, yep. she, she would have stated that. But if it were an insider, like somebody within the Russian government, yeah. she Very interesting. Have, she doesn't want to run her mouth about that. I, I've obviously. Or I'll, I'll give like another thing. If yeah, she another was, possibility. <laughs> if if she was infiltrated by Ukrainian and like Ukrainian supporters or a anti-war support mm-hmm. group, mm-hmm. maybe she would give the same answer. And then that's she's, true too. And then yeah. she's like, I don't want to say it here to get them, you know, to broadcast in public. But I'll tell you, when the cameras are off, who did it? You can go get them. Maybe that was what it was. Okay. Well, I guess we'll see as this progresses. We'll figure out what's going on. Maybe we won't figure out because I don't know if they're (laughs) going to be too open with the actual details of this. But okay. Well, we'll try to keep an eye out for what actually happened and what's going on. But in the meantime, who does Russia say coordinated this attack? Well, Russian officials have blamed Ukrainian intelligence as well as domestic opposition in Russia for masterminding the blast. So okay. when I say domestic opposition in Russia, that is Russian groups inside Russia who are anti-war. Right. Now, also, so that's like that's from like Russian intelligence. Okay. But Russia's anti-terrorism committee claimed that the attack was coordinated specifically by supporters of jailed opposition leader Alexei Navalny. Oh. Who, I mean, if you, I mean, you, you remember, but the listeners, yeah, you remember. Yeah. He was the basis of the now Oscar winning documentary Navalny. We still need to watch that. Oh, I know. It's on Netflix or something, I think. Yeah. No, it's HBO Max. And we, we don't need to we'll find it. That. I do want to watch it. I just need to be ready to cry. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know me both of us yeah that's true i will say with that them trying Mm -hmm. to blame of course um, alexa that screams russian propaganda because they want to continue to demonize him while he's in prison right scott the documentary is now making the rounds yeah they're trying to deflect from the oscar and you know all the publicity you know his wife went on stage and gave the the speech yeah yeah. his whole family was on stage so her, they all gave. Well, she gave the expect the acceptance speech, and they all were around her supporting. Yeah, but I do. So that makes say, sense. That does sound like something that you know, an angle that Russia would want to push. That it was, yeah, him. No doubt about that. Right. Um, you know, we give both sides equal. 
fair. They're, allowed, they're allowed to try to sway us. When yeah, they can together. sway us either way. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to say that Ukraine and Navalny's camp have denied involvement. Right. So there's that. Because that's ridiculous. Like, how right. would we orchestrate that? Yeah, through the documentary. I don't know. It's, it's Not even weird. through the documentary. Like, you know, they're keeping him isolated. Like, how, right. would, he, how would he do that? <laughs> and we all know Russian okay. officials have a tendency to blame either the U.S. usually, right? It's always the mm-hmm. U.S. or the West. Right. Or other anti-Russian actors for orchestrating these. And then they don't provide any concrete evidence to support yeah. their claims. Well, <clears throat> While Russia's war in Ukraine continues and attacks like this become more frequent, Russia is also dealing with NATO. Yep. This week, Finland finally joined NATO. Could this move possibly provoke a strong reaction from Russia? Well, it is possible that Russia could react strongly to Finland's ascension to NATO. Russia, we've talked about this, maybe ad nauseum. They've long opposed. (laughs) Definitely ad nauseum. But Russia has long opposed NATO's expansion. Hmm. And so adding Finland to the alliance increases NATO's proximity to Russia, which is what Russia is concerned about. Right. Now, in the past, Russia has responded to NATO's expansion by increasing its military presence in neighboring countries. And it has made clear that its views that it views NATO's actions as a threat to its national security. That's what we're seeing right now. So I can say this, if you're looking at satellite imagery of what's going on along nearby borders of Finland within Russia, there is an increased military presence near the borders of of Finland. Well, Finland is also a country that we enjoy. Another country, my favorite country. Yeah, you you did love Finland a whole lot. A whole lot. But, okay, so now... Joining NATO theoretically protects Finland, which was specifically named by Putin as a country that should be absorbed by Russia. Yes. Does this move increase the chances of a preemptive invasion of Sweden by Russia? And should we talk about the holdup by Turkey of approving Sweden's membership in NATO? That's a fantastic line of questioning. We'll start from the top. Can you keep up? Can you keep up with that? Yeah, I'm going to try back here. To back, to back, to back. Mm. Drinking your margarita. My club, original club tail, sunny oh, margarita. Sponsor him. Sponsor him. This just is an me. ad. No, just kidding. This is not an ad. This is not an ad. Don't say Jacob that. would be pissed if we had another ad pop up on this podcast. Oh, we need to talk about that at the end of this. We need to yeah. discuss what's yeah, coming. So. Definitely. Yeah. I got to write that down. So, sorry, sorry, everybody. <laughs> Writing things down. Okay. So, with with what you were saying, I'm going to try to follow the line of questioning. Okay. A few weeks ago, well, let's start with what Sweden has been up to. A few weeks ago, Sweden summoned Russia's ambassador to Sweden because of their remarks stating that joining NATO could make Sweden a target for Russian military retaliation. So, we know with NATO... If NATO's has NATO says if you attack one NATO country, you attack all NATO countries. Right. Right. So saying that Russia could retaliate for Sweden trying to get involved with NATO is a huge deal. It is possible that Putin could be planning that invasion because of mm-hmm. the possibility. But I would say it's not a good military strategy because right. Russia's already having a difficult time in Ukraine. 
And some will play military experts play Sweden as the 10th most powerful military in Europe. Oh, Ukraine wow. is 13th and Russia's oh. having difficulties in Ukraine. So not only would that kind of further place sanctions on Russia, but it is definitely going to strain the Russian military. And also, like, the distance between, you know, Sweden and Russia. I mean, obviously, it's not so far, but it's definitely a leap over a couple of countries to get yep. to Sweden. They would pull a lot of the the assets and things that they need in Ukraine out of there if they try to go after Sweden, which don't touch Sweden. I love Sweden. Another country. <laughs> I know, Sweden! In case, if you haven't been here from the beginning, I am obsessed with Scandinavia in general. Sorry. Hmm. <laughs> Anyways, I mean, it makes sense, but we need to get into why Turkey is holding up Sweden's end. Yeah, and you, I mean, some people may think they're doing that because Russia told them to so that Russia can invade, but right, Turkey has some, con- some legitimate complaints about Sweden. One of those legitimate complaints is that Sweden continues to criticize Turkey's human rights abuses and their democratic mm-hmm. standards. And that's irked Turkish President Erdogan. So in turn for that, Turkey accused Sweden of harboring members of what it considers terrorist groups. Sweden denies that. Right. But Turkey wants Sweden to extradite those members of those terrorist groups as a condition for ratifying Sweden's membership. Mm. Sweden's courts have actually blocked that. Good for you, Sweden. So definitely good for you. Keep your borders your borders and... You keep, if you find that those guys are terrorists, you deal with that yourself. Yeah. You know, just extradite them just because a country's holding NATO over your head. But, you know, just going to focus this on Sweden. They did not help themselves in the eyes of Turkey or the entire Muslim community around the world. Because they, they did have protesters in Sweden a few months ago that burned... The Quran, which is the Muslim holy book, which you just do not do. What the heck? They also, they burned an effigy of President Erdogan, and they hang they hang that upside down. Aye. So, okay. they, those are other things that are just not helping their situation. Also, yeah. you know, we talked about 2024. That's a huge election year for a lot of countries. Mm-hmm. There's also an upcoming election in Turkey this May. And so that could play a role in the delay, depending on who wins that election. Well, do you think Sweden's entry into NATO will get accepted anytime soon or? Yeah, I mean, I think it's possible. And honestly, I think it's possible to happen shortly after those elections in Turkey. And the reason I say that is because Erdogan is using this objection to Sweden as a way to get to get reelected. Right. And so then once that happens, once he gets elected, he could actually soften his tone on Sweden and then ratify their entry. Okay, well, that's that's good to know. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Last week, you briefly touched on the fact that a Wall Street journalist was arrested in Russia. Is there anything else that you can tell our listeners about that event? Yes. So, Star will just tell the whole story. Evan Gershkovic is the journalist who was detained. He he is actually, his family's Russian, and they left Russia 
-hmm. And Russia actually accused him of espionage while on a work trip in the country. Gershevich, who worked as a correspondent for the Wall Street Journal, was actually last heard from on April 6th, 2023. Personally heard from him. We've heard from his lawyer since then. So the espionage charge. That's today, though. Yeah, sorry. That's why we were talking. Okay, I thought I was saying things. No, no, no. Or heard you incorrectly because I'm like, that is today's date. (laughs) That's not that long ago. (laughs) We haven't heard from him. Okay. But we've heard from his lawyers. And we continue, so continuously to include when this comes out. Okay. uh, They they continue to be in connect in talking to the U.S. about trying to get him out. What's interesting is the espionage charges, which that's what Russia charged him with. They carry a possible 20-year prison sentence. So in doing that, in doing that very quickly, it, it just shows Russia playing their hand, which I'll get to in a little bit. But they can, they said that he was charged with espionage. His, the Wall Street Journal, his colleagues, and the U.S. government denied ac- accusations of espionage, and they started the call for his immediate release. Well, now the U.S. has said that they are prepared to declare unlawfully detained. Can you kind of explain what that means and why it is so important? Yeah, it is. So that is unlawfully detained is an official designation, and it refers to the imprisonment of an individual without proper legal justification or without following proper legal procedures. So a government kind of overstepping their boundaries. Okay. So like the Brittany Griner case. Right. You you could see why you wouldn't declare her unlawfully detained. Mm-hmm. Because she had Anna. marijuana, which was illegal in the country. I still think it's so dumb, but right. But and and it for worked. that country, obviously, different countries have different laws in regards to that sort of thing. But but we all know it was a ploy to yeah. arrest a high-profile American. Mm-hmm. Now, when a person is detained without a valid legal basis or without following due process, it's considered it's considered a violation of their human rights. And it can be a criminal offense for those in the country that actually detain the person. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if the U.S. government declares that someone is unlawfully detained by a foreign government, there are a number of additional resources that can be used to help secure the release of that detained person. Like your agency. Yes, that is. So I can say that we kind of. I participated in writing the paper on how to declare an unlawful detention. Um, So I do have... I'm learning new things about you every day, and we've been married for 17 years. Yeah. (laughs) Well, can you kind of go through what those additional resources are? Yeah. So So first of all, the U.S. government can then, if they declare it, they can use diplomatic channels to put pressure on the foreign government, in this case Russia, to release the detained person instead of having to do what they did with Brittany Griner, which was you make a trade, make a swap. So this kind of pressure can also include statements by high-level officials, formal diplomatic protests. They can do other forms of diplomatic pressure. Also, the U.S. can impose further economic sanctions on Russia. I haven't seen that work yet, but they could yeah, do they, that. I don't understand why they keep going down that road. It's not 
helping anything. <laughs> yeah, it's not doing anything. Right. Another thing is the U.S. could leverage the United Nations or the ICC. Oh, no. Well, put more charges on Putin that he'll never get he'll arrested He'll never have for. to face. Yeah, yeah, he'll never face. Just like... So the most important thing, and I think I I think the most important thing, but in a less formal sense, they can start to raise public awareness globally about the case. That's going to include things like media campaigns. They can have you know rally, official rallies by U.S. government officials, and then they can do other forms of public outreach. And they did all that stuff with Brittany Griner's case, right? That's part yes. of how she got released, were yeah. because of all the media campaigns and rallies and stuff. Okay. Well, do you think in this situation, any of that will work to get Mr. Gershkovich? I'll say no. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Mm-hmm. It doesn't so, help that he's from, like his family is from Russia, right? Right. Like they're extra ticked off at him. Yes, definitely. <laughs> from abandoning so. the motherland. And and then starting to report on, mm-hmm. report negatively about Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Right. So we know, like we've been talking about, Russia used the very public arrest of Brittany Griner to get the Merchant of Death back in Russia. And so what happened? So Russia arrested Brittany Griner and got exactly what they wanted. Uh-huh. Because now he's back in Russia and he appears to be helping influence Russia's military involvement in Ukraine. So do you think Russia is going to leverage this arrest for a prisoner swap? I mean, if they do do that, who do you think it could be that they're trying to leverage this? Well, because Russia immediately claimed this was an arrest on espionage charges, I do think they're looking at a very high-profile prisoner exchange. I'm going to float two names out there as potential for a swap, but if the State Department were to ask me, which they won't, obviously, mm-hmm. they're not asking right. me, I'm going to say, so I'm going to say not to do it. But right. here's who I say that Putin wants. He wants either one or both of Sergei or and or Vadim Karaskov. Krasikov. What did I say? Karaskov. No. You said Krasikov. Well, I mean, what do you know about these two? Because I have never heard either of those rooms. Yeah. Well, a lot of people have not, and neither one are. Neither one are in U.S. custody, which makes it kind of difficult. But there, yeah, there, there's extradition that can happen, but. First, Sergey is is an alleged Russian intelligence officer. I'm going to say alleged because you have a group that denies this. Nope. And he's alleged to be working, had been working for Russia's GRU, their intelligence agency. His identity was actually revealed by Dutch General Intelligence and Security Service in 2022, which led to his arrest in Brazil. And Brazil actually sentenced him to 15 years in federal prison. Okay. Also, it was actually very convenient for Russia. It was a few weeks ago that the U.S. Justice Department charged Sergei as a Russian intelligence agent. So if you're two and two together, they charge him with, in you know, as an intelligence agent. And then okay. Russia goes and detains this Wall Street Journal journalist. Okay. I see what you're saying now. So when that report came out a couple weeks ago or a few weeks ago, the U.S. actually called for him to be extradited from Brazil. Brazil, Putin could actually be looking to get him out of Brazil in that swap so he'd never make it to Russia. Because what happens is if he gets to the U.S., he's going to be interrogated by the CIA. Yeah. And Putin does not want that. Hmm. 
I will say a much more likely swap would be for Vadim Krasikov. There were rumors that Russia actually wanted him included in the swap with Brittany Griner as context for releasing Paul Whelan, that former Marine that's still detained in Russia. Yeah. So they were already looking at that. Put it, making everything fair, the U.S. denied the rumor because he's actually in German custody. And that was because this was a brutal killing in Berlin. He walked into a mosque and, and killed a person within the mosque very brutally. Okay. But those are the two biggest Russian spies being held that the U.S. could work out a deal with. Uh, but they're not again. even in our custody. <laughs> yeah, there's extradition laws, move them around. It's all political oh stuff. And it's so stupid. Yeah. Like I said, I am going to caution against doing any trade, mm-hmm. uh, but continue to raise public awareness about the case. Of course, yeah. Unfortunately, the U.S. set a precedence with the Griner exchange. So we're dealing with that. All right. Well, then let's discuss the other precedences that are being set. I mean, Taiwan's president met with U.S. Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy, marking the second high profile meeting between Taiwan and the U.S. Can you explain the implications and how China is already responding to this meeting? Yeah. So like you said, this is different than the Pelosi one because House Speaker Kevin McCarthy actually hosts Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen. And that was at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in California. They were very careful to avoid calls from hardliners in the U.S. for a more confrontational stance towards China. Instead, they acknowledged China's threats against Taiwan, but still talked about them, you know, U.S. and Taiwan relations being close. Oh, I'm going to say the meeting is already infuriating China. They consider any interaction between U.S. and Taiwanese officials to be a challenge to its claim of sovereignty over the Taiwanese island. Mm-hmm. We honestly don't know. We're not going to know the full geopolitical impact of this, but obviously it's going to increase tensions between the United States and China. And like I've been hinting at for the whole episode, we're going to talk about China's actions to assert its influence abroad. Okay, well, we'll hold off on that conversation until the end, even though I want to talk about it now. So let's discuss Saudi Arabia, which you have previously called the worst U.S. ally in this yep. in this episode, actually. Yeah, this now, one, all the others. <laughs> all the other, yeah. Every time you mention Saudi Arabia, you just have to throw that in there. Now it seems that they are no longer an ally. What the heck is going on there? Yeah, so it's been quite the pendulum swing. Yeah. Even though I did view the Saudis as the worst ally, they were still an ally. You know, we we still traded and and benefited from the Saudis. Mm-hmm. Now, that looks like it's no longer the case. The United States as of today still remains Saudi Arabia's largest trading partner and Saudi Arabia is the largest US export in the Middle East. But recent developments are going to change both of those things. Well, can you expound more on what those recent developments are? Because this freaks me out. Another thing we're going to talk about at, at the end of this, because okay. it freaks me out too. But It's scary. The biggest thing in my mind was the announced decision of Saudi Arabia joining the Chinese-led Shanghai Cooperation Organization. So it's apparent that Saudi Arabia is cultivating a long-term relationship with Beijing. And that's going to be at the expense of the United States. 
Also, the Saudi crown prince is changing oil policies. You know, we saw that with the OPEC cuts that was led by Saudi Arabia. And the reasoning they said behind those cuts was to actually diminish the dollar as a global currency. So these events are that just highlights a shift in Saudi Arabia's foreign policy. It it shows Saudi Arabia's desire to become more aligned with China, which is going against the wishes of the United States. It also highlights the uncertainty surrounding the U.S. security stake in with other Arab allies. Yeah, I know you said you're worried. I'm worried. Mm-hmm. The United States government should be very worried about the situation. Once again, we're going to talk about this at the end, so please stay, because I think it's a very important conversation we're going to have at the end of this. Well, before we get to all that heavy stuff, let's get to one more geopolitical landscape shift before we tie this all together at the end, where you can kind of explain why these events are concerning. There is definitely a shift in Latin America where Taiwan and the U.S. are losing. The latest came from Paraguay. What details do you have there? Yeah, Paraguay is believed by the U.S., by Taiwan, to be the next country to switch diplomatic recognition of Taiwan to China. So in that country, the agricultural sector has been demanding that the country embrace China. There are going to be elections April 31st at the end of this month. And the results of that election are going to impact the official Paraguay stance on Taiwan. If they do switch recognition, that's a significant blow to the United States because they have been unable to prevent Taiwan from losing or the, the United States. We, we're in the United States. have been unable to prevent Taiwan from losing diplomatic allies, especially in Latin America. Okay, so I think that is the perfect spot to get into this geopolitical shift that you keep talking about. Why not start, I mean, if you can, start with your opinions on what is going on, and then we can have a discussion on why it is important for every American, not just government officials. Yeah, so unfortunately, I've been going down the rabbit hole of these current events. I've seen the global power, the the shifting global power is certainly shifting away from the United States. Now, Mm -hmm. I have also seen through social media, through blogs and things like that, people are saying, so what? There shouldn't be a global superpower anyway. And I agree with that sentiment, that sentiment. Yeah. That's just not how the world works. So every time in history, one country or government or ideology gains power at the expense of the current country government ideology in power. Always going to be a top dog. Yeah. And that's just how the world works. You know, that's how humans work. I wish it didn't. <laughs> yeah. And, and in this case, it's that the U.S. is definitely losing influence globally while China is gaining influence. That's true in the Middle East and in some respects in Latin America. But are we really seeing that in Europe as well? Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. So just this week, French President Macron met with Chinese President Xi. During his visit, he urged Europe to resist reducing trade and diplomatic ties with China. He stressed the importance of maintaining dialogue with China. This That statement comes amid Chinese protests against U.S.-led technology export restrictions, the, you know, the, the chips. So the reason Taiwan is important is because they have a, they do chip 
manufacturing microchips for cell phones, a lot of electronics. That's why Taiwan is important. And so China is actually protesting that. Now, China actually views what the U.S. is doing there as a larger effort by Washington, D.C. to contain the rise of what is now the world's largest, second largest economy, China. So it's well known. We talk about this. You and I talk about this daily. I'm sure everybody knows history repeats itself. Yeah. The the philosopher George sent, he said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat. In this case, a repeat of a global conflict is on the horizon. We're all seeing that. Yeah. And when these global catastrophes occur, we kind of tend to focus on the event as it happens and actually not what led to the event, right? Well, then how does this look similar to what I assume you're alluding to, by the way, is the rise of Hitler and World War II, who is the new Hitler or the next government similar to the Nazi party? What were their parallels? You know me. I'm always going to push back on, on some of that stuff. I don't think there is a new Hitler, per se. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm, like I said, I push back on claiming every person a group dislikes is Hitler. You do hate that. Yeah. <laughs> you do indeed hate that. I can attest to that. <laughs> it just, it kind of waters down evil. Hitler yeah, they, was evil. Yeah, they use it, yeah, they use it too frequently for just people that haven't done the same atrocities. <laughs> yeah, just a person that has a different opinion right. has to be Hitler. Right. And it's like every U.S. president since World War II has been called Hitler. Right. None of those presidents has ever destroyed an entire population because of a, a specific religion or a race or creed. Right. It just hasn't happened. And that goes for, I'm going to say that goes for Putin and Xi too. They right. haven't destroyed an entire population based off of their religion, race, or creed. They just haven't done it. While they may not be the same as Hitler, that doesn't mean that those leaders are not as brutal and authoritative, or even in some cases more so brutal than Hitler. Well, I, I do get that. And I would agree that we can't just label everyone or everything with a differing opinion as a Nazi. Of like, That blows my mind how people come to that conclusion. But let's get into the events leading up to a global conflict. Why do you think that we might be living in a similar time to the era just before World War II? So it it starts with the invasion of Ukraine. And that's why we keep harping on that in on that war, on that invasion. Because on the surface, it just looks like a regional conflict in Eastern Europe with on you know a proxy war that's happening globally but as hitler came to power they had the united kingdom's prime minister neville chamberlain he met with hitler he struck the munich agreement which ceded parts of czechoslovakia to hitler mm -hmm. and he took hitler at his word he tried to appease hitler to stop further invasions much like people are asking to do with russia right now just give yeah. russia what they want and he's not going to continue to invade Right. Yeah. And then we can come to some form of peace. So when Neville Chamberlain did that, that was 1938. Okay. At, as we all know, 1939, Hitler invades Poland. So it didn't work. Right. That's the most direct form of history repeating itself today. Could we see in another year Hitler moving to, oh, I don't know, Moldova, like we've been talking about? When you said Hitler, you meant Putin. Well, yeah, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, it's okay. It's didn't good. mean to... 
to push that on the picture. It's all right. Well, yeah, um, I mean, you just said Hitler, so. But yeah. But yeah. Talk so, about the parallels. Would we see Putin now, sometime this year, hitting, going into Moldova? Right. We're watching in real time history repeat itself, and yet we're still making the same mistakes in a lot of the discussions were happening. Now, I don't want to talk too much about this because we're going very long on this episode, and we could also sit here for three hours, three more hours, and break down each historical event. But I'm going to say the world needs to take some time and reflect on how we got to where we are today. These events do not just happen instantly. There's a long list of events that lead to the current state of geopolitics, and it is, we've both talked about it at the very top, it's very concerning. This has nothing to do with the U.S. losing influence. If the the U.S. loses influence and everybody's just on an equal footing, that is great. Yeah. Nothing to do with that. Nothing to do about other countries gaining influence. If if China has influence in Asia and they do it properly, that's fine. It's it's not about those things. I'm just going to leave it at that. We can talk about it another time on a much longer episode. I'm just I if am, you guys want that episode because this man right here can drone on and on. <laughs> they already saw it happen after that obvious question. I just keep talking about. I'm going to say I'm very concerned, but. You know, we are at a point where we can change things. I don't oh, want to get to the point. Like a tipping where we, point? Yes. Kind of thing? I don't want to get... Glad well, y'all, if you guys haven't read that book, The Tipping Point, it's very good. <laughs> and, and Malcolm Gladwell's... I would say, yeah. Awesome. I love all I think, his books. Yeah. God, so glad you brought that up. I listened to a couple of his other books on audiobook a few months ago. I love Malcolm Gladwell. Very good. Babe, we have all his books, like... I didn't even know. And, and smell the paper. Sorry, you don't know me. You don't know. <laughs> so we're just going to leave it at that. Yeah, let's not get any more depressed than we already are. This is already one of the most depressing episodes since Russia's invasion of Ukraine. That one, you were so fired up. You were yeah. angry and you couldn't even disguise it in your voice. Well, since we've reached this point, do you have anything else that you would like to discuss this week that may be more uplifting, like perhaps... A potential episode with friends. Perfect. Oh, it's a little, let's bring some levity to this. We didn't even pre-production this. We, You did an excellent job of segueing. Hey, you know, I'm, get, I'm getting good at my job, whatever Yeah, is. so <laughs> we have been talking with Josh and Jacob of Manus. They have their own podcast where they review movies. and And we're looking at doing an episode with them. After we recently watched the, what is the first Jason Bourne movie? Born, uh, the Bourne Identity? Is the Bourne the Identity. Oh my goodness. Is that the first one? I can't remember. We watched it and we the started. Born, what the, is the first Bourne movie? Started like, the second one. They, well, first of all, Jacob has a background in movies. So I feel like it's important to specify that. Yeah. And, you know, they watch movies and take and... We wanted to join them because we're we're all buddies and we wanted to do an episode about a movie that pertains to intelligence and the military and stuff like that. So we kind of drunk texted each other. <laughs> but we're going to have an episode where we all come together and Carville will be able to say his opinions on things about how accurate things might be or how inaccurate they might be and i'm just gonna sit there and squeak 
every once in a while. You know, Tiana's going to give her opinion on how, whether it was entertaining or not. <laughs> I, I already know the answer to that question, but wait for that. Those guys do Screen Echo. It's a, yeah. that, that podcast. If you're still listening to this, just go onto there. Because if you're still listening to this episode, you follow us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is go, pretty- go on there and and follow them. They do a very good job. Yeah, they're very funny guys. Yeah, and I can't wait to do that. It's going to be an excellent episode. When that come, when that we record that, I will we'll let you know. And then when it's set to come out, we'll also let you know. And also, we want to remind you to give this month's episode of Insightful Inquiries a listen. It has Jeff Bosley as our guest. And the greatest man in Hollywood. He's also in movies and TV shows and stuff like that. But he has a background in the military. It's very interesting. Very interesting episode for sure. It was so much. So it was so much. (laughs) It was so much. (laughs) Jeff is Jeff is great. Yeah. And I can tell you personally, Jeff and I talk every So he is just an excellent person. Like you don't find that in Hollywood. And I keep saying that, but yeah, a genuinely good person who's actually not out for himself. He's out to promote other people. It, it's great. But yeah. I'm I'm looking at our timer right now, and uh-huh. I can tell you, usually uh-huh. I say we're out of time. <laughs> we mm-hmm. are 100% out of time today. Okay, okay. <laughs> Zip it. Let's end this. Sorry we got on our little ramble train and couldn't stop ourselves. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast, especially this episode where we rambled for a really long time. We hope you found it informative and engaging. And if you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes, please let us know. We want to engage with you guys. So just reach out and we're both here. We'll we'll reach out to you. And if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more, follow us on Instagram at Oakwind Analytics. If you have a moment, you can stop by where you listen to your podcast, whether it be Spotify or Apple or one of the other ones that I can't think of right now, and give us five-star review because those can help us get noticed by thousands of podcast listeners globally. And as I've said before, you guys have done an excellent <laughs> job. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> We've reached the thousands of, of podcast listeners. And that, but it that's a testament to the listeners it really means it really does spreading the word because i sure as heck am not spreading the word i don't tell anybody about it (laughs) no that's what kate does yeah oh yeah our number one fan yeah one fan Catherine. well tiana Mm -hmm. thank you so much Uh, it's been over well over a year now that we started this and you show up every week and I really do appreciate it. It's not like I can hide. You you haven't quit on me and said, do it yourself, idiot. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I've tried a couple of times. I feel like I've tried. But until next week, when I know you're going to show up again. When I'll be here next week, squeaking, yes. squeaking in this microphone. And to everybody, stay yes, safe everybody. out there. <laughs>